Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. For the best of Sports Business Radio, we're going to take the weekend off for the July 4th holiday weekend, but we've got quite a show to bring to you this week. In segment two, you're going to hear my interview with Eric Spolstra. He is the new coach of the Miami Heat. He's taken over for Pat Riley. The Heat recently drafted Michael Beasley from Kansas State with the number two pick in the NBA draft. They also drafted Mario Chalmers from Kansas, who hit the game-winning shot for Kansas to win the national championship for them. We're going to catch up with Eric Spolster of the Miami Heat. That's in segment two. In segment three, you'll hear my conversation with boxing champion and promoter Oscar De La Hoya. De La Hoya has made tons and tons of money in boxing, both as a fighter and as a promoter, one of the smartest businessmen out there, and we're going to talk to him. That's coming up in segment three. Then quite possibly my favorite interview in the history of sports business radio. We've been doing this show for over four years. I had a chance a few weeks ago to catch up with golf legend Jack Nicholas. You'll hear that in segment four. We'll talk about his course design company, what he thinks of Tiger Woods, may Tiger Woods break his records, and just how golf has changed from when Jack played it to current day. So that's what's coming up in this, the best of sports business radio. When we're back with you, we will preview the Major League Baseball All-Star Game that's taking place at Yankee Stadium. That should be a good one. And the NBA free agent season is open. And guys like Baron Davis are changing teams. Baron Davis going to be moving from the Golden State Warriors to the Los Angeles Clippers. Lots going on in the NBA free agent market. We will tell you about that. You can visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand anytime you want. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. We also have a great interviews page where you can hear any of our interviews with our marquee guests. We're looking forward to bringing you this, the best of sports business radio. Eric Spolster in segment two, Oscar De La Hoya in segment three, and golf legend Jack Nicholas in segment four. That's what's coming up. Hope you're enjoying your July 4th holiday weekend. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
one-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Hey, Eric, congratulations on your appointment as the new Miami Heat head coach. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. So, Eric, you've taken a really interesting path to become the head coach of the Miami Heat. Can you tell us and our listeners the story of how you met Pat Riley and, and really how you got started in the coaching business? Well, uh, it was really my first job with the Heat, and I started out, it was 13 years ago. I was hired pretty much for the summer. Dave Wool hired me, and I was working in the video department and uh, working on the draft, a little bit of free agency, with the option of hopefully being able to extend into the following year. But uh, as people remember, Pat Riley didn't even get hired until uh, late August or early September. It was right before training camp, and uh, he could not bring his staff down from New York. So I remember uh, he came into my office one day. I had barely even met him, you know, and uh, he said, hey, you're down here doing the video. Can you be the video coordinator? Can you do this job? To be honest, I had really no idea what that even meant. I just said, yeah, absolutely, you got your guy. And, uh, you know, 13 years later, survived and uh, got to the point uh, where I am right now. Hey, Eric, walk us through the process. I know there had been rumors for a long time that Pat Rowley was going to step aside at some point. Obviously, he's getting up there in age and he's had a Hall of Fame career. How did he approach you and say, all right, Eric, I'm handing the reins over to you and uh, you're our guy? Well, I kind of hinted at it, you know, the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, he'd make jokes about it, uh, you know, hey, you better get ready. And uh, just kind of got my frame, my uh, mind kind of working in that direction. And after this season, obviously we finished, you know, very poorly with 15 wins only. But uh, he decided pretty quickly about a week after the season that uh, he wanted to step down. And, and we met for about three hours. And he said that, uh, you know, he wanted to step down and, uh, and hand the the head coaching job over to me and uh, just kind of went from there. That's a great, I mean, you must have just sat there thinking, gosh, uh, look at how far I've come in 13 years. You've put in so much hard work, but uh, what an endorsement for Pat Riley, a Hall of Fame coach, to say, all right, Eric, I see your traits and I see your qualities and uh, I want to give you your first head coaching opportunity. That must have been an amazing day for you. It meant a lot and really because of the relationship that uh, we've built over the 13 years, and, and he's had a tremendous influence on, on my life and profession. You know, really as a mentor, uh, you know, as my boss, and he taught me so much about uh, the game and, uh, and how, to, how to be a coach, how to handle the business of basketball and how to be a leader and, and so forth, and it really did mean a lot to me, and, uh, and I really look forward to working with him in the future. It's not as if he's moving on. I hear so many people say that, oh, you know, He's retired. He's gone. No, he's still the leader of our franchise, and and will be running the franchise from the president's chair. And I look forward to uh, working for for him and and together with him, trying to get this thing back to where we were. I'm joined by Eric Spolster. He is the new head coach of the Miami Heat. Eric, when I look at you, I see kind of NBA coach 2.0. You're 37 years old. You're intelligent. You've got a lot of energy. You've used technology to kind of help you gain an advantage against your opponents. You read books like Freakonomics and Blink. Um, I, I kind of put you in that class with guys like Theo Epstein, Billy Bean. I know they're GMs, but you know when I look at you, I see a new breed of NBA head coach. How would you best describe your overall approach to coaching? Well, it's, it's always got to be a comfort level with your personality. 
And uh, there's so many different ways and styles to win an NBA, and I've seen it, you know, over the years. And uh, and that's really just my personality, uh, that I do come from a background of, you know, working, and I, I've worked quite a bit with computers, and I, I am, an, you know, I like the numbers, and that's kind of my comfort level. And hopefully that'll be something that I can transfer over, you know, some level of success, but ultimately it becomes – it's about the relationship you have with the players and the connection you have with them and uh, and their comfort level that they can go out there and compete with confidence. And so I think ultimately that's really the most important thing. And, uh, you know, the technology and that type of thing, I, I, I will use that as much as I can because it is a comfort level for me. And it still remains to be seen if that will have a factor. Talk about your relationship with Dwayne Wade a little bit. I mean, here's your guy. He's the guy you're building your team around. And, you're going from an assistant to the head coach position. Um, have you had discussions with him about your transition? Oh, yes. Uh, we've talked several times on the phone. In fact, I was just in Chicago earlier in the week uh, just checking in with him. Uh, you know, he's working vigorously with uh, Tim Grover up there trying to get uh, healthy and get his legs right, not only for the Olympics, uh, but also to get 100% healthy for our training camp next year. And uh, he's extremely motivated and uh, really ready to redeem himself and the team, you know, for next year. But uh, our relationship has been great, and it's been one that's been developed over five years. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like to take credit for that because that's really him, and that's about his work ethic. He's really the one that was knocking on my window and, and had the drive and, and really wanted to improve, and, and he always wants to add something to his game. But that's something within himself that uh, really makes him special. But uh, in terms of our relationship, yeah, like we've been through the greatest times of championship, but also, you know, some real tough times, adversity, and uh, I think that strengthened the bond, and, and there's certainly a level of trust uh, from that. What do you think about the balance between burnout and, you know, being uh, a workaholic? I mean, it seems like there's this fine line that, uh, you know, you can burn yourself out if you don't recharge your batteries every once in a while. We see it not only in the NBA, but in other professions as well. Uh, what do you do to recharge your batteries? Are you able to do that? Or are you so driven, kind of like uh, Riley and Van Gundy, that you're not able to hit the off switch every once in a while? Well, I think uh, I think everybody has some kind of outlet. And, yeah. that, again, that's my comfort level. You know, I like to grind it and, uh, you know, for – Better or worse, I am a little bit of a grinder, and that's my comfort level. And, uh, you know, as a release, a lot of times I just, you know, to clear my mind, I like to get out and run. You know, for half hour, 45 minutes, it's a great mental release, even more than uh, physical benefits from it. I also like to read. Uh, but uh, the, just the nature of the game, it's so competitive. You know, almost every staff is, is really grinding and, and working a, a ton. We're joined by Eric Spolster. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Eric, just a few minutes left. You know, you're the first Asian-American to be named head coach of a U.S. Major League Sports team. That's really quite an accomplishment if you think about it. What does that mean to you on a personal level? Well, I'm very proud of my heritage. And, uh, you know, I'm Filipino, Irish, and Dutch, so I don't think there's many of us running around. (laughs) No Uh, kidding. (laughs) But uh, it does mean a lot to me uh, just to – to be a part of of something unique and it just shows that uh you know opportunities are available for for anybody out there and uh and i took kind of a a different path than many but uh the fact that i've gotten to this point shows that uh you can be any any race or or color 
and uh, and still be able to succeed and, and do stuff that you want to be able to do. As you prepare for your first season as an NBA head coach, what are some of the things that we're going to look at next year when we see the Heat running up down the court and we're going to go, all right, here are the traits of an Eric Spolstra coach team. That that team shows us that he's leading this team now. We know he's in charge. Well, I think, uh, defensively, I think that we will try to do it, you know, what we've done over the years. We've been one of the better defensive teams right. over the years, and that's something that's always going to be you know, a staple for the Miami Heat organization, and, and that's part of our culture is uh, defending and playing hard and being, you know, in condition. You know, in addition to that, offensively, uh, it depends on who we're going to have on our roster come next October. But uh, in terms of who we have coming back, we feel very good about, you know, our young core. It's exciting, uh, young and athletic, uh, you know, built around Dwayne Wade. And uh, with the draft pick we have coming up next month, we feel that uh, we can take advantage of that speed and athleticism. Well, Eric, I think you're going to do a fantastic job as the head coach of the Miami Heat. I think the team has a bright future. Guests appearing during our sports segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Eric, good luck in Orlando this week, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Uh, Congratulations again on being the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Oscar De La Hoya. He's one of the greatest boxers of all time. He's the founder of Golden Boy Promotions. Uh, Oscar, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Oh, Thank you for having me. So let's talk about your book. You have a really great new book out called American Son. The book is on sale now. Uh, Quite a story you have to offer, and I was really uh, pleased to see how candid you were in this book. You talk about your mother's painful death from cancer, the pitfalls of stardom, and how important it is to you to be an American. What inspired you to write this book, and why did you write it now as opposed to uh, when you retire? Well, I, I just thought that it was very important to, to send out that message now. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're, we're in a time, uh, in a period of time where, uh, where a lot of people are down. You know, a lot of people have been knocked down by that devastating left hook, you know, and uh, I've been down in my life many times outside the ring, and I've been able to, to get back up and, and, and fight even harder. And uh, I just hope this will be some kind of inspiration, um, um, uh, hope, for people who uh, 
who are searching for that American dream. Yeah, you have quite the American dream. You talk about your start to your career of boxing. It sounds like your mother was totally opposed to it. Maybe tell us about how you got started as a boxer, how you convinced her that uh, you were going to be okay in the ring. Well, uh, I come from a boxing family. My father was a fighter. My grandfather was a fighter. Um, you know, so I kind of had no choice but, but to be a fighter. But my mother, I mean, what mother wants to see their, their, their child get hit? Um, you know, it's funny because in the beginning of my career, uh, she was so opposed to it. But then after, after a few fights as a kid, she started to be my number one fan. She started to be my biggest supporter. And I can remember times when I was eight, nine years old, boxing in the ring, and I would hear this woman just yelling uh, top of her head, uh, you know, knock him out, uh, the, go ahead and beat him, and uh, and I look over and it's my mother. So uh, she she grew uh, she grew and 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 was able to uh, to uh, to to learn how to love the sport. <laughs> you know, I want to talk about business for a minute with you. This is a sports business show. Uh, you're a very savvy business person. You have formed Golden Boy Promotions. You're the first Hispanic to own a national boxing promotional firm, one of only a handful of boxers in history who have taken on promotional responsibilities while you're still an active fighter. Talk about why you started uh, this Golden Boy Promotions, because you know what, Oscar? A lot of uh, promoters of the past, there's this negative stigma that's attached to them, but it seems like you're really in favor of defending boxers more than the past promoters. Well, that's the exact same reason why I started Golden Boy Promotions, because uh, too many fighters have been taken advantage of. And um, my, my mission is to, to protect the fighter, to, to be honest with the fighter, um, to be transparent with, with, with the fighter. I mean, uh, that's what we believe in. And, um, you know, if you take a look at all our fighters we have, um, every single one um, has made great money, is happy with us, um, you know, we have such a great relationship, but the thing is that um, we have to try and, and organize the sport. And we, we, we have many tasks ahead of us. Um, you know, we're a young company with six years. We've been able to accomplish a lot in such a short period of time. I mean, we're now the biggest promoter in the world today, um, but we have to make sure that the fighter, uh, um, um, uh, you know, is treated right. Um, you know, I want to get... Uh, 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 some sort of medical plan for fighters, which we don't have. Uh, I want to try and organize the sport, uh, uh, um, you know, to have one commission um, overlooking the entire sport instead of having every state with their own rules. Um, there's just different ideas we have that hopefully one day uh, they can, uh, they can, uh, uh, we can implement them and, uh, and we can have uh, a sport that is uh, 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 going to be uh, a main street sport. Oscar, this is Nathan. Uh, with UFC and MMA gaining more and more attention, can you talk about how you feel about the state of boxing right now? Well, with 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 the uh, with the UFC gaining uh, all the attention, um, you know, uh, we take a look at the the uh, the UFC blueprint. Um, you know, the UFC is 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 is, is like a league, and um, and it's receiving a lot of attention. And you know, I can only imagine if if boxing was was organized. If, if boxing was like a league, uh, you know, what attention it would receive because boxing has been around forever. Boxing has so much history, uh, which, which the MMA doesn't have. I mean, I, I just cannot imagine uh, the, the, the UFC or the MMA producing 
uh, iconic figures like uh, the Joe Lewis's of uh, that we had, the Muhammad Ali's, the uh, Sugar Ray Robinses, uh, uh, the Jack Johnsons uh, the, that we have in this in, in this boxing world. So, I mean, I I, I commend them for for uh, growing a company, growing a business in such a short period of time. But um, you know, I have to admit, I'm really not a, a big fan of of, of uh, that type of, of fighting. We're joined by world champion boxer and. Golden Boy Promotions promoter Oscar De La Hoya. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Uh, Oscar, i got to ask you, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Buster Douglas, these are all guys who have made millions of dollars in the ring, and they've squandered their millions of dollars. As far as I can tell, you've kept your money, you're thriving, you're making more money. What's the difference between you and them and how you've been able to keep your money while they squandered all their money? I feel that they've surrounded themselves with the wrong people. Um, you know, in boxing and 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 in the athletic world, um, you know, unfortunately, you have a lot of uh, I call them leeches. Um, you, you have people who are just hanger oners who uh, who don't do nothing, who don't produce, and uh, a lot of yes people. And uh, you know, I was able to learn at an early age, uh, you know, what's right from wrong. I was cheated uh, the first couple of years of my professional career. I mean, I, I made a lot of money in, in the first couple of years of my professional career and at the end of the day I had zero and so in with those times I learned so much and I woke up and I said to myself you know what I'm going to surround myself with people who are smarter than me who people who are not involved with boxing who people who who know how to handle money and uh I was very fortunate to uh to just find the right people and uh, we've uh we've uh we have a great partnership together <laughs> Oscar, it's Nathan again. Uh, you recently acquired a stake of uh, Major League Soccer, Houston Dynamo. Can you talk about why you chose the MLS and uh, how that opportunity came about? Well, the, the MLS now is, is gaining so much momentum. And if you take a look at uh, the owners involved, uh, like the Paul Allen uh, in Seattle, you take a look at Nabisco uh, family um, uh, with New England, you take a look at um, uh, Phil Anschultz with the LA Galaxy, you know, and then you have uh, then you have this uh, his, uh, poor little Hispanic American uh, owning the the Houston Dynamo. I think we have uh, <laughs> uh, 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 pretty good owners uh, uh, in in the league, and I, I just feel that soccer in America um, is is growing, it's gaining momentum, especially with the Beckham effect. Uh, but I, I I strongly strongly feel that it can be. Uh, 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 just like uh, Major League Baseball, it can be just like uh, uh, football. Uh, American football is, uh, is 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 supported here in in, in the states. So uh, you know, I think uh, that was one of my my um, my uh, one of the best decisions that I I have made uh, in um, outside the ring is to uh, is to get involved with uh, with soccer. Oscar, just a few minutes left. You were scheduled to flight, uh, fight Floyd Mayweather Jr. in September. He has come out in the last week and said that he's retired. Is this a ploy for more money, or do you think he's really retired? I, I hope it's not a ploy because um, I, I have a, a time frame. Um, um, you know, and uh, this year I'm, I'm hanging up the gloves. I'm, I've been preparing for this moment for three years now. Um, I'm not fighting next year. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's my final fight. And, uh, you know, if he waits too long, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be too late. And so, uh, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I, again, I wish him all the best of luck. Uh, if he, 
is retired. Uh, you know, I hope he does stay retired and he, uh, and he's smart about his, uh, his, his financial state. But, um, you know, I, I just think that we're going to move, uh, move ahead and, uh, look for another opponent and, uh, and then do my final fight. Yeah. I mean, who might that opponent be if it's not Mayweather? Any, uh, any word on that yet? Well, um, there's a lot of fighters who are now calling me out. Uh, you have the Manny Pacquiao's, you have the Ricky Hans, you have the uh, Miguel Cotto's uh, of this world. I think knowing me, um, I'm probably going to choose the uh, the toughest one. So uh, you know, we'll have to we'll have to uh, sit down and talk with my uh, with my advisors and uh, with my team and uh, and make a decision very soon. Oscar, last question. Uh, we've talked about your investment in MLS. We know you have Golden Boy Promotions. Once you ride off into the sunset, where else are we going to see you? Well, uh, we're uh, we're very uh, fortunate uh, enough, like you said, to to uh, to be involved uh, with the uh, the MLS. Uh, I'll be uh, able to uh, to attend uh, many games uh, uh, in Houston, uh, uh, for, you know, for the Houston Dynamo that we purchased. Uh, you know, we're we're just uh, we're behind the scenes type of uh, type of businessmen. I mean, I you know, we do a lot of uh, a lot of uh, acquisitions that really don't put us in front of the limelight, uh, the, the, the behind-the-scenes type of acquisitions that I actually really enjoy because uh, uh, they don't really take much uh, time uh, to do, and, uh, and and you make a lot of money. So uh, you know, it's it's uh, I'm I'm gonna keep busy with my promotions and uh, and keep on uh, keep on uh, working with my team uh, in, in executing these types of deals. Oscar, congratulations on your new book, American Sun. Tell our listeners where they can pick up a copy. Well, you can pick up a copy uh, in, in any bookstore, I believe. Uh, you can go to your Barnes & Nobles. You can go uh, 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 to uh, your local bookshop and uh, you know, look for American Sun, which I hopefully can inspire someone to, uh, to, to search and look for that American dream. Oscar, best of luck to you in the future. Congratulations on a tremendous career, and uh, good luck whoever you fight this year. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods. Featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Mortons nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Mortons, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Jack Nicholas. He's the winner of a record 18 major championships. He's the CEO of the Nicholas Company and a goodwill ambassador for the game of golf. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure, Brian. So I got to tell you, in doing my research for this interview, I was struck by what an amazingly busy schedule you keep. You just finished hosting the Memorial. You're the head of the Nicholas Companies. You travel to dozens of countries every year designing courses for Nicholas Design. And you somehow find time to spend quality time with your wife, your children, your 21 grandchildren. You seem to be working more now than you were when you were playing regularly. Where do you get all this energy? If I don't, if I don't keep the energy up, you know, you, they they put you away, <laughs> and uh, you know, sort of, or they, or they farm you out or something, Brian. I, I don't know. I've always had energy. I've always been sort of uh, one of those kids when I was growing up that I got up in the morning and I came in at night and my mom grabbed my ears, you know. Right. And uh, but I, that's I've always had to be doing something, and I, you know, people always say, well, gosh, you know, you, how do you do all this stuff? I said, well. You know, you got to remember, I was playing 25 weeks a year. I was traveling tournament golf and spending a week at a place. I don't do that anymore. I've got 25 free weeks now. Right. And uh, so I'm going to fill them. I, I enjoyed filling them up and working and doing things. And it's, uh, you know, most people work all their life to retire to play golf. I play golf all my life to retire to work. Right. And so, and so I kind of enjoy that. And I've got the grandkids are growing up. My, my oldest just graduated from high school last last week. And so... Uh, we're not. Uh, I'm, I'm watching them in high school athletics, and I'll watch some of them in college and in the future. And so, we're, uh, we're we're pretty active. You know, I look at what you've done and just what you've meant to the game of golf. Not only when you played, but now you have Nicholas Design. It's an incredibly successful golf course design company. You've designed f- courses in 45 countries around the world. There's 300 Nicholas courses. Uh, you're designing a hundred more. And between what you're doing with the USGA to promote the game of golf and these courses you're designing, what a legacy you're leaving for future golfers. Well, you know, it's a game that gave me so much, and it's a game that uh, I want to continue to be part of and continue to grow with it. Uh, One of the neat things about the things I'm doing is that, uh, you know, we're actually working in 29 new countries now as well as all the other countries we've been working in. Wow. And... You know, we go into these countries, and, and a lot of them were the first golf course in that country. That's got to be fun. And to have the op, the the opportunity to form the the and uh, and, can, and sort of uh, formulate the sh- the shape of what that game is going to be in that country, and its future is is kind of it kind of fun to go into into mostly Eastern Bloc now with those countries going into Russia, Poland, you know, uh, Bulgaria, Ukraine, all all the way down through. Uh, Romania and Czech Republic, so forth and so on. Uh, all those are all new places, and you know, to they all will, will grow up now on a pretty decent golf course, and and the young people that come from there will uh, be able to compete around the world and uh, make the game more of a global game. Continue to grow it, and uh, uh, that's kind of fun to be part of that. I've got to ask you a question as a designer. You're the greatest golfer who ever lived. So when you're designing a course. How do you put yourself in someone like my shoes? I'm a duffer. And when you're designing these holes, how do you think in terms of someone like me instead of Jack Nicholas, greatest golfer who ever played? Well, I think that you, uh, you know, I've done, uh, we've done over 300 golf courses. So I think when you start to look at it, you pretty well figure out that who's going to play it. And, you know, only 1.8% of your play is played from the back tees. Hmm. So you're really designing the golf course for 98.2% of the people. And so you really better be designing from the members' tees because that's where your bread and butter comes from. And so you've got to figure out how do, they, how do the average golfer hit it, how do, how do the women hit it, how do juniors, how do beginners. You've got to try to figure out how that's going to work. And you just keep, keep working with it and try to play them around. I mean, some of the first golf courses I did, 
were very difficult golf courses because they were done for tournament golf. Right. And, uh, you know, like Muirfield is, is a difficult golf course, Shoal Creek, Castle Pines, they're, they're all done for tournament golf. Well, then, then all of a sudden I, I figured out, I said, you know, I'm really not designing this golf course for one week a year. I should be designing this golf course for 51 weeks a year. Right. And adapting it to a tournament. I think if I look back at Augusta, I think Augusta was at. Augusta is a wonderful golf course. It's a wonderful members golf course. All they did was move the tees back and hide the pins, and they played the Masters. So that philosophy I've always thought has been pretty darn good. And, you know, it worked for the Masters and it was successful. Why not try to, try to take it forward? So I try to look at that kind of a, kind of a thing and when I'm designing. And I think it's... Uh, I think it's been successful. We we sometimes don't don't get it right every time, but a lot of times we do. And uh, I think we've got a lot of people that uh, have enjoyed our golf courses and enjoy uh, uh, playing them and and uh, and living there. So it's uh, uh, and it's, and it's been fun to be able to be part of it. I would imagine that people find you if someone wants to hire Jack Nicholas to design their course. How does that process take place? I mean, I see your website, and obviously you've got a pristine reputation, but. You know, these people in third-block countries, eastern-block countries, how do they find you and bring you in to design their courses? Well, they, they, they figure it out somehow. Cause they, <laughs> they, get, they get to us. And, you know, most of the stuff comes into the office, although we do have we have an, we have an office in Moscow, and i got an office in hmm. Brussels. i got an office in uh, Seoul, an office in Hong Kong, Beijing, uh, 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 South Africa, uh, representatives in Argentina, and you know, I've got people in all parts of the world, and so you know, they, and and we're we're doing golf courses in all parts of the world. So people generally figure out that hey, Jack's doing a golf course in uh, in China. We ought to be able to figure out where is he doing China. We talk to those people. Are we talk to we're doing a golf course in Russia. How do we talk to those people over there if we want one in? In Bulgaria, you know, I mean, they they figure out how to get to us. Other, otherwise, and, and our people are always uh, prospecting. And frankly, you know, the internet's been a great source of our business. Hmm. Uh, I would say that uh, ten years ago, we got oh maybe five percent of our leads off of the internet, and I'd say today we probably get sixty seventy percent of our leads off the internet. Wow, that's amazing! I would have never guessed that. I wouldn't have either, but it it's actually is a fact. That's great. My guest is Jack Nicholas. Mr. Nicholas, there's lots of talk, obviously, about Tiger Woods eventually breaking your record of 18 major championships. Tiger sits at 13 right now as we speak. A remarkable stat that very few people realize is that you finished second 19 times out of the 162 majors you played in. So if you won half of those, you'd have 28 major championships. I think what Tiger's doing is incredible, but, I mean, let's be realistic here. If you had 28 majors, we wouldn't talk about Tiger breaking your record at all. Who faced the stiffer competition, you or Tiger? For my, well, for my vote, you did. Well, thank you. I, but first of all, I failed 19 times then. That's sort of the way I look at it, uh, Brian. I mean, I, I, got, I got beat or I failed 19 times where I, where I came close, and I, I won 18 times. So, uh, but, but, you know, you, you're going to lose sometimes when you're, when you're in contention, and you're going to... And I think that the, the the competition that I had, I think there it was very difficult. I mean, and the, the reason I think it was difficult is because we had fewer really good players, and but the real, but the good players we had all learned how to win, and they'd all won five, six, seven, eight, nine majors. You know, Arnold and Gary and uh, Trevino and Watson. Those guys all knew how to win. And if I was if I slipped up, they were ready to play. Uh, the problem today is that we have we have Tiger. And then we have so many other really, really good players, but there's just not enough, they don't get enough exposure of winning to really 
uh, feel confident coming down the stretch that they're going to make it happen. So I, I don't know really how to answer the question properly. Uh, you know, there are probably more good players today, but yet uh, ours had had the experience to learn how to win. So it's just, it's you know, you, you, you don't know really what is right. We hear the story about a young tiger taping a sheet with your stats on his bedroom wall and kind of being fixated on catching you someday. Who was the guy that you were maybe fixated on? Was it Arnold Palmer as you were growing up and you said, that's who I want to be or that's who I want to break all of his records? Well, Bobby Jones actually was. I, I, Bobby Jones won the U.S. Open at Scioto in 1926, and I grew up at Scioto. I started playing golf course in 1950, and there were many golfers that, that they're members of that club that were there when Jones won, including my father. And uh, uh, so I never heard anything other but Jones, 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 and I never really thought anything about breaking any records. It was never. We didn't have that kind of pressure. Tigers had it on from day one, but I mean, it wasn't until 1970 that I won my tenth major. And I walked in the press room, and Bob Green of the AP said, Jack, that's 10 majors you've won now. Congratulations. You only got three more to tie Bobby Jones. I said, what? I mean, to be very honest with you, I had never counted him. I never even dreamed of it. never even entered my mind. And I, mean, I never thought Bobby Jones' 13 majors was, was, was uh, you know, approachable. And then all of a sudden, I, I was three away from it, then I actually focused on it. And uh, then when I focused on it, I got past it, and, uh, you know, I, I just played, uh, tried to win – what I could after that, and uh, uh, but you pretty much, you know, once you pass something, you lose your drive to go on. Uh, and uh, uh, even though I wanted to play golf, I just didn't, uh, I, I didn't drive as hard as I did when I was younger. But uh, you know, I'm, my record is what it is. I certainly, I, I certainly wish, uh, I'm quite happy with what it is. Do I wish it was more? Sure. Now I do. Sure. But how did I know Bob? How did I know Tiger Woods was going to come along, or how did Bobby know, Jones know Jack Nicklaus was going to come along? You know, it it really isn't. It really isn't important. Uh, Tiger is a great player. He's uh, he's doing and dominating the game today. He's uh, he's a nice young man. He's uh, handles himself well. The game's in good hands. So. If he breaks my record, you know, more power to him. I just want to be the first one to shake his hand. And obviously nobody wants their records to be broken, but, you know, I think it brings more excitement into the game to have uh, have Tiger chasing my record. Obviously, it puts my name in the newspaper every day right beside his. So, sure. you know, it's not it's not all that bad for me either. So, uh, But it's, uh, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of fun to watch him play. He's, just, he's a very, very talented young man and uh, uh, fun to watch. One of the things that's so different, obviously, today is compared to when you played the prize money. I mean, Tigers made $93 million on the tour. <laughs> you won 113 tournaments, and you earned a little bit less than $6 million in your entire career on the tour. Obviously, I would guess you're earning a lot more than that with Nicholas Design and your other endeavors now. But do you ever look back and just go, gosh, I played in the wrong era. I could be making a lot more money now with 113 victories. Well, I think Ben Hogan actually looked like he thought maybe he played in the wrong era. Yeah, no I kidding. His, his total, I think his total lifetime earnings were like 241000 Wow. So, I mean, if you really look at that, I mean, it's just times change. And, you know, I'm, what I look at is I think that the kids today are really blessed. They have the opportunity to play golf for a living. And we played golf and had to be successful so we could go make a living. You know, I mean, with outside things, you never made a living on a golf course when we played. Right. And today the kids can actually play play golf and, and, and don't have to do anything else. They can play golf and make a living. That's And I think that's neat. And we were the forerunners of that. We, uh, you know, the group in front of us, the the the, the, uh, the Hogans and the Nelsons and the Sneeds, 
uh, were the forerunners of that, and then we came in, and then we were the ones that started to get it to the next level, and then Tiger and his group were taking it to the next level. And I think it's I think it's great for the game. Jack, Father's Day is next weekend. All four of your sons work for you, and you won your last major in 1986, the Masters, with your son Jack carrying your bag for you. That had to have been a wonderful thrill. Talk about the wonderful bond that you've built with your sons. You know, honestly, I see a lot of athletes who play, and they're so involved in their athletic endeavors that their relationship with their family suffers. And I've got to tip my hat to you because you seem like you're so close with your family, and I think that's just so admirable. Well, that's always been the most important thing in my life, Brian. I'm in, uh, my wife and I grew up in the Midwest, in Ohio. We both have same same values. We both felt like we both came from close families, and we both felt like family was the most important thing. And you know, I, you know, I, I, I probably could have won a lot more tournaments if I had, if I would have sort of been selfish enough to leave my family. But I just didn't want to do that. My family is what I wanted to be part of, and uh, my kids are all working with me. They're all doing things that are similar to what I do. They, they're they all trying to handle their kids the way, uh, you know, I handle them, which makes me proud. Uh, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got a good group of kids, and uh, they... Uh, uh, and they're good citizens, and they and they do well. And I'm, and I think that's what my wife and I are most proud of. Right. I mean, it's just it's it's such a wonderful trait and quality that you have. And think of all the the generations that you've affected. Last question for you. Obviously, you've played the game of golf all your life. Uh, you've been there with golf during some incredibly joyous moments, like we discussed with the 1986 Masters. But golf has been an outlet for you for some incredibly somber moments as well. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we play pay close enough attention? Well, I think the game the game is a a game that you you, you get out of it what you put into it, and you get uh, uh, you know you, you get you develop relationships with people. I think you play eighteen holes of golf with somebody, you get to know them pretty well. You're exactly uh, right. Yeah, you you know what, what kind of a sport they are. You know what kind of a personality they got. You know whether they're a hothead or or whether they they'll, they'll enjoy the game for the game or they're or they're or they're just they're driven by total competition or they're driven for greed or whatever they're driven by. And you find that out pretty quickly on the golf course. So it's a it's a great game for that. It's a great game for for people. It's a great game for 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 a father to play with a son. It's a great game for a grandfather to play with his grandson or granddaughter. And you know, it can be played by all walks of life and people of all handicaps and all abilities. It's, it's just a marvelous game, and it's, uh, there's not many games like that. Uh, so uh, to, be, to be fortunate enough to be involved in that game all my life has been a very, very special thing for me. And, it's, uh, uh, you, know, it's, it, and you meet the same people on the way down that you meet on the way, way up, Brian. You, you know that. And uh, so you better, you better watch your P's and Q's on the way up because you're going to have to have to either either you're gonna to have to eat them on the way down if you haven't handled it right. Well, it's great, great advice, and uh, it's such an honor to speak with you. You've always conducted yourself in such a wonderful manner on and off the course, and I really wish you the best in all of your endeavors moving forward. Thank you, Brian. Nice to talk with you. Good to talk to you too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. 
This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, thanks for joining us for the best of Sports Business Radio. I hope you've enjoyed our interviews with Eric Spolster, the coach of the Miami Heat, Oscar De La Hoya, who says he's going to retire at year's end, and golf legend Jack Nicklaus. When we're with you next week, we will discuss the Major League Baseball All-Star Game taking place in Yankee Stadium. For the last time, Yankee Stadium will be closing down at the end of this year. We'll also talk about the NBA free agent market. And I've got some interesting stories that you might want to check out on my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Also, interesting story from the L.A. Times this week about Magic Johnson and his empire that he has built. He's had quite a run as a business person post-career. Probably one of the most successful athletes of all time as far as building a fortune after his playing days are over. Those are just a few things that you can check out on my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Lots of thank yous. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com. Just click on the podcast page. You can also find us on iTunes for one of the top-rated podcasts under the business news section. Look for us on iTunes. Have a great 4th of July holiday weekend. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs> 